0: Charles Swindoll in his book, Christian Living, writes this little story about church. A typical American family was driving home from church one Sunday. Dad was fussing about the sermon being too long and sort of boring. Mom said she thought the organist played too loudly during the second hymn they sang. Sis, who was a music major in college, said... She thought the soloist sang about a half note off key during most of her song. Grandma said she couldn't hear very well since they were sitting toward the back. As they pulled in the driveway, little Willie, who had listened to all of this, started to fuss about the woman who sat in front of him with that big hat. Then he paused, nudged his dad, and said, but dad, you gotta admit, it was a pretty good show for a nickel. Ouch. (laughs) To more people than we would dare admit, attending church is a lot like watching a show. The better the entertainment, the more they enjoy coming. But the less they like what they see and hear, the more they grumble and complain. Let the show get really bad, and there's no way most people are going to see it through. Yet, we've got to admit that the price of admission is still pretty hard to beat. Compared to what the public is willing to pay for live theater or a professional hockey game, it's still a pretty good show for a nickel. All of this is true, of course, until you get serious about this business of the church. Things change when you do. You feel less like seeking entertainment. You feel less freedom to fuss and complain. You feel more like investing your time, your treasure, your very life. The stakes since he wrote this particular book are significantly higher. In fact, uh, taking it from a little comedic story to reality, Carl Truman, a professor at Grove City College, where many of you like to go and shop in Pennsylvania, writes this. But that is not our world today. In modern society, few have time for Christianity of any flavor. The basic Christian context of our Reformation forefathers is long gone. In case you didn't know, it was Reformation celebration this week. I, you all thought, thought it was Halloween. No, that day before is Reformation Day. The basic Christian context of our Reformation forefathers is long gone and if not completely forgotten, utterly despised. We must look to an earlier time for help, specifically to the second and third centuries. As in the second century, Christianity is now regarded not simply as absurd, but as immoral. We may not be accused of cannibalism and incest, as they were then, but our sexual ethic and understanding of selfhood are seen as hateful and arrogant. And perhaps for the first time since the 3rd and 4th century, persecutions of uh, Decius, Valerian, and Diocletian, the terms of civic loyalty and of faithful church membership are becoming mutually exclusive. As ancient Roman Christians had to sacrifice to the emperor or risk being punished as subversive of civil society, so modern Western Christians are beginning to face that choice. Affirm gay marriage or have your business boycotted. Let your children choose their own gender or have them taken away from you. Maybe we are not quite that far there yet. He writes from America, we are that far now in Canada. But we are too close for comfort and complacency. So, in this brief time we have this morning, in our study on discipleship, discipleship essentials, we turn to the church and in a few moments we're going to try and and give a description of the church i would invite you to turn in your bibles with me this morning to 1 corinthians chapter 12 serving christ within the church how important is it how important is it that we get it right Well, we are talking about who we actually are this morning. We the church, as John Calvin called us, the society of Christ. That's who we are. How important is it? Well, the church is Christ's intention. I will build my church, he said. So it ought to be ours or it must be our intention as well. As Edmund Chan writes, there is no discipleship without the church and there is no church without discipleship. Van Hooser in his book, Biblical Authority After Babel, writes, those who cherish the gospel must also cherish the church. For the church is the implication of the gospel. The practical outcome of the Great Commission. Do we realize that Toronto was once called Toronto the Good? So high were the moral standards and expectations that were set by the mayor of the time named William Howland in 1886 that Toronto received the nickname Toronto the Good in the international scene. In fact, Toronto had the most churches per capita, per capita of any major city in the entire world. The most congregations of believers were in Toronto per capita in the entire world. How things have dramatically, dramatically changed. So what is the church and what is our place or what is my place in it? We want to... um, Recognize that the church is not the bricks and mortar, as much as we probably said to each other, what time are we leaving for church this morning? We meant, what time are we coming to gather with God's people this morning? Because we are the church, the people are the church. Not the bricks and mortar of a religion, but rather the social form of people who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's how God's people organize and structure and authorize and mobilize that's what the church is that's of course and the church in form is the church universal or the holy catholic church don't be alarmed catholic simply means the the entire encompass of the church we are the whole a part of the holy catholic church not to be confused with the roman catholic church and we are in particular a local church a local expression of the Holy Catholic Church. That's who we are. The church is the public domain uh, where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Jonathan Lehman writes this, the local church is not a building. It is not the place where you go once a week to get your spiritual jolt. It's where heaven comes to earth. And the truths of heaven are spoken, and the things of heaven get handled, and the people of heaven find life and fellowship. Our churches are embassies of heaven's rule scattered across the nations of the earth. So what does all this mean practically? I want to... uh, of the, of the numerous illustrations of the church in the scriptures, and in your study this week you really looked at one, the body of Christ, I want to look at three this morning. The church is, is illustrated in a variety of ways in the scriptures. It's called the flock, it's called the building, it's called branches, it's called the bride of Christ, it's called the household of God, it's, it's called the body of Christ. I want to look at three this morning, if we have time. So, uh, but we're, we're going to try and plow through three this morning. The body of Christ, the household of God, and, um, and the bride of Christ. That's what I want to spend our time on this morning. And of course, the text that uh, you looked at this week, if you were studying, was 1 Corinthians 12. So let's look there as we, as we center our scriptural text there this morning. We're going to start at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. The body is a unit. Now he's referring here, of course, to the human body. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, or literally Christ's body, literally the church. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. There is only one expression in all the world of the people of God today. It's the church. It doesn't matter what nationality you are, it doesn't matter what social status you have, it doesn't matter what gender you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, there is only one expression of the people of God Those people who truly worship the true and living God are the church. No other institution, no other organization, no other gathering, no other nationality, no other anything, no other special interest, nothing can represent the people of God. Only the church is the people of God. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. This is referring now to all the different individuals who make up the church if the foot should say because I am not a hand I do not belong to the body it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body and if the ear should say because I'm not an eye I do not belong to the body it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, listen, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. You are exactly who God wants you to be. You are exactly where God wants you to be. As it is, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. That's the subject, okay? You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Let's, let's pause there and let's pray. Father, as we, um, as we dive into your word this morning, there is much for you to teach us. Some of this, Lord, is well known to us and then other things will be not so well known. And I pray, Father, that you will direct us, direct our hearts, help us to be responsive, help us to to, um, yield and be inclined, Lord, to respond in obedience to what we learn, set aside former prejudices, former preferences, former ideas, former teachings that may not come in line with your texts of Scripture, and let us make ourselves and our thinking and our hearts available to what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in our lives today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The church is the body of Christ. Now, the context, of course, chapter 10 and 11 are referencing unity versus disunity. So Paul launches into this, hey, guys, there should be no reason for you to be in disunity. You all need each other. You all all bring to the table something very strategic and important, just as God wanted you. He placed you where he placed you. He gave you what he wanted you to have so that you would benefit the body of Christ. All of you matter. Nobody doesn't matter. There is this whole concept of what the Holy Spirit has done. And in the church, this amazing, the first couple of verses that we launched out in here tell us how we actually became part of the body of Christ. That we are, in fact, the residents of the Holy Spirit here on earth. This is how Christ continues to operate and function on earth through His body, the church. The church is one body with many parts, baptized by one spirit, and given one spirit to drink. Baptized by one spirit. This is how you came to be connected to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit... Baptized you into the body of Christ. The absolute necessity to be called a Christian is that you are indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit, or you were baptized by the Spirit and baptized into the Spirit. You were immersed in the Spirit, and the Spirit immersed you into the body of Christ, into Christ. That's how you came to be in the body of Christ. That's the amazing reality of what has been done here. One body working with one cause. Placed in by the Spirit, water is your your part of confirming the deal. The Holy Spirit baptized you into the body. You, having been baptized into the body of Christ, go through the waters of baptism to declare and confirm that you have been baptized by Christ or by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We've been given one spirit to drink. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, it talks about that Israel was wandering around the wilderness and they were given that, that rock that, that, that gave them water, which was Christ. As in the Old Testament, so in the New Testament. And this diverse contribution in union with Christ. There is no gift that everyone must have in order to demonstrate that they are in the body of Christ. We are given different gifts. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. They're all different. People have different gifts. A gift or different gifts. So you contribute to the body. The church is the theater of the gospel. Showing off reconciliation, that's what we do. That's what we do here. That's what we do in the world, wherever we are. We demonstrate to the world something very, very unique. We show them what coming to know Jesus Christ looks like. At least we should. We must. We're empowered by the Spirit of God to do that. They're to look at us and say, look at this community Look at who they are. Look at how they treat one another. Look at how they value each other's contribution to the whole. Look at how they respect each other and love each other. Look at how they are reconciled to each other. They are reconciled to God. And we are reconciled to one another. We discredit the gospel when we aren't a community of reconciliation Do you realize not to reconcile with one another is worse than the sin of murder? Murder is regularly or often an act of passion. Failure to reconcile with your brother is a decision that you make. Reconciliation, that's who we are. Showing it off with each other because we're already reconciled to God we can literally be called the Society of the Reconciled to God. We're right with God. And we're able to be right with each other. That's the amazing reality of the church. So we could say so much more about the, the body of Christ, but I want to move, move us through and give us just a, a taste, just a, a buffet, a sampler this morning of, of the glories of the church. The body of Christ. But we... It says in the scriptures are also the household of God. I have much to say here because I think this is so important to who we are and what we need to know. Turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to look at verse 15. Paul is writing to Timothy. But he's really writing to the church. He's writing to us. He's writing to the church of the ages. He's kind of hoping we'll eavesdrop in on what he is teaching Timothy and that we will learn the things that, that we're to learn as a church. In fact, God is laying on my heart after we finish complete the gospel of Mark. God has been laying on my heart that we might just dig into First and Second Timothy because I think it's time uh, for us to go there. In, in 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, He's given him instructions about the officers of the church. And he says that um, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. We are the household of God. Now, I know often we say this thing like, hey, we're going to the house of God. Hopefully, again, you're not thinking, of, it's, it's a right term, but hopefully you're not thinking about bricks and mortar. This thing that stands at 300 Roslyn Road when we all leave is not the house of God. It's just a place where the house of God meets. But we are the household of God. We are the household. Household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, this really emphasizes for us our organization, our purpose, our structure. The uh, church, in terms of body of Christ, emphasizes unity and connection. How are we connected to each other? And why are we to be in unity? This talks about structure, authority, purpose, organization. How you ought to conduct yourselves, in other words. Now, um, we would have little trouble doing this well if, in fact our homes, our households, were organized in a design that is biblical. And having said that, it's important for me, when we think, when God calls us the household, He is, keep in mind, these are illustrations so humans can understand great God concepts. So He uses human illustrations to illustrate great God concepts. So, the church is an expression of God's creative design in structure and order and organization and authority. We are to model to the world what the house should look like the house called the church, and the house of people, houses, households. The household of the church is to model households in creation. Now, that helps us to organize our own homes and to understand how to interpret the Scriptures when we are referencing organization structure authority flip over a few pages in your bible to first or second peter follows james second peter sorry i mean first peter first peter 2 Because this tells us what the household is made up of. This household we have. Verse 5. Well, let's start at verse 4 because it's such a beautiful verse. As you come to him, meaning Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, see that, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people... A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If you need a boost this morning of self concept, of self identity, you need to understand who you really are. You are a royal priest of God. Each one of you who knows Christ. Each one of you has been brought into the the church by your connection to the great high priest. We are a royal priesthood because he is the king. And we are priests of the king of kings. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, we are actually called priest kings. We'll get to that in a few moments. We are priest kings and he is the king of all kings. So, we are in this household called priests of the King of Kings priest kings of the king, priest kings of the King of Kings which is the end purpose of your salvation that you would be a royal priesthood a holy nation we are a holy nation within the nation of Canada in fact this local expression here of the church at 300 Roslyn is a nation we ourselves are a nation we are answerable only to our king we are priests of the king of kings we all hold the office every one of you are officers of the household of God every one of you every one of you are equal officers of the household of God regardless of race, regardless of social standing, regardless of gender, you are all equal officers of the household of God as priest kings of the household. To declare the praises of the king. We're all supposed to get on Kanye West bus and travel around and say that Jesus is king. Really? I hope that dude is saved because he is doing the right things right now. This is what the church is called to do and be. Running around the nation of Canada declaring that Jesus is king. That Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. And we are consecrated into our role. Consecrated means Declared sacred, declared in the service of God through baptism. First, you were anointed by the Holy Spirit of God and baptized into Christ, into the body of Christ, and then your responsibility was to respond by being baptized by immersion as a believer, declaring who you are. Your consecration to the royal priesthood is through baptism. Baptism by immersion is the obedient response to your status in the household as priests and kings. This um, fact, that's why... You aren't admitted into the church until you are baptized because it is the act of of taking, identifying your name with Christ's name. You are taking upon yourself in baptism the name of Christ, identifying with him. So you were anointed as priest kings when the Holy Spirit came upon you and baptized you into the family of God, you are consecrated as priest-kings upon your baptism. That's why in the New Testament, salvation and baptism were linked very closely together. There wasn't this separation of the two to the degree that we have allowed the practice. So I'm I'm reminding you that in the New Testament, there are no priest-kings who were unbaptized, except, because I know there's keeners out there, except who? Huh? The thief on the cross. And as I look out here this morning, I see no one pinned to a cross and unable to be baptized. I'm not begging you to be baptized, but if you know the Lord, if you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit and baptized into the family of God... I urge you to make the consecration complete by being baptized as a believer. Receive, first of all, receive Christ. Maybe some of you don't know Christ. I urge you today to receive Christ and be baptized. You saw baptism this morning. And then we are not making peace with the world. We are not called to make peace with the world. We are called to bear witness to peace with God. We're not, to, we're not called to compromise ourselves and try and find ways for people to, to, to make peace with the church or us to make peace with them. We are called to bear witness to peace with God. That there is only one way to peace. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. K-N-O-W, Jesus. K-N-O-W, peace. N-O, Jesus, N-O-Peace. That's the church. That's who we are. Jesus is our peace. Where the gospel is uh, not just the plan for my life, but is brought to bear on all of creation. We must not be selfish about our role in this household to say, well, I'm saved and that's all that matters. I, I've got salvation. No, no, we are called to a more robust reality than that. When I'm talking about the whole household reality, we, the implications for our relatedness to our world are staggering. We are called and we are held out by Jesus as embassies within this country to demonstrate to the people of the world who Christ is what the structure of Christ is, how you organize around Christ, what authority under Christ looks like. And so we learn he's very intentionally organized the church, calling it the household. God as the manager, 1 Timothy 3, 5. Look at that text, if you kept your finger in there. Anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? God is the manager of his family. His household. Jesus is the master. Church is the embassy. So does this all matter? Does structure authority and all of that matter? It absolutely matters how the household of God is managed and organized and structured. We're given much in the scriptures about that. Because in terms of management, what we are given authority as the local church to do is who does what and who's in and who's out. I'm going to show you that in a second. So first of all, as membership, we are priests and kings, as we've learned, as equality of assignment. Adam was the first priest king to vice royalty to take care of God's creation. We have now been handed that mantle. It's our responsibility to demonstrate from the household of God how creation is designed. We are to model in the church the creation design. Not fall prey to the vicissitudes of the culture, but rather to embrace the creative design and model it with passion As priest kings of God's household. Now, as I have shared with you, you have the same office to represent the king as priest kings, his rule and reign over creation. And what that means is your assignment, my assignment, is to offer praises, thanksgivings, proclaim his excellencies, and live out kingdom values. That's what priest kings do. In terms of structure, in this same text, 1 Timothy 3, 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his house, it's talking now about within the church, within the offices, the equal offices of the church, there are special officers who are appointed by God to be house stewards, house managers. In Titus, just a little bit over uh, from 2 Timothy, the next book after 2 Timothy, and for In Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete, Paul writes, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders, or pastors, another term for that, in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband uh, of but one wife, a man whose children... believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, or literally a steward, he must be blamed. And it goes on to say this, God's particular steward. So the structure within the church is, is that from within the priest, king, officers of the church, some would be called to oversee the keeping of kingdom values And responsibility for that kind of leadership. Church fathers, as Mary Cassian calls them. And it is gender specific because it is entrenched in the creative design of a household. Whereby the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And the wife submits to her husband as Christ. As the church submits to Christ. And as the household metaphor illustration is given to us, the household of the church is supposed to model to the world not only the right domestic homes, but the right church home as a creative design of God and not fall prey to the changing ideas of the culture. This is critical for us. All Christians are priest kings, but not all are pastors to model this creation design. So that's the, why the, the elders, the officers, whether deacons or pastors, are husbands of one wife and manage their own household. Why is it important for them to manage their own house, household properly according to creative design? Because they're asked to come in and be stewards of God's household. This is how you interpret and understand the text. The illustration matters. And we've been given in Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter uh, 18, We have been given by Jesus, who said, I will build my church in the same text, Matthew 16, verse 18, say 18, I meant 16. Matthew 16, uh, in verse 19, Jesus says, after he said that, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church because he says, I will build my church. He's talking about binding and loosing. What is binding and loosing? He's saying whatever the local expression of the church binds to the church will be bound in heaven. Whatever the local expression of the church cuts loose from the church will be loosed. He's talking primarily about who's in and who's out of the church. That role and responsibility is given to the officers, and I mean everybody, the full membership of the church, stewarded by the officers called out for leadership to monitor in the embassy who has passports and who doesn't. So baptism, the Lord's table, become those ceremonial events whereby the keys of the kingdom are demonstrated. Who's in, who's out. So um, it's not, therefore, baptism and the Lord's table are not a private affair. They are, they are expected ceremony of the church where the priests and kings gather. To celebrate what the Lord has done. Now, as you know in embassies, embassies don't make someone a citizen. They simply confirm the citizenship. So it is with the church. We don't make people saved or placed in the kingdom of God. No, not at all. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But like the embassy, we confirm through baptism and the Lord's table who is in the body of Christ, in the household of God, in the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, expresses his love. Let me just say very quickly, it tells us how much Christ loves his church. He views us in the illustration of a passionate bridegroom for his bride. And how much we are called to love him. And how, how important we are to him. We are the bride of the Lamb of God. There are a few things that offend me. But when people start criticizing the church... I get very, very offended because the church is Jesus' bride. If you criticize my bride, I get extremely offended. Why would we think Jesus thinks it's okay for us to criticize his bride? So there you have it. Jesus' body, Jesus' house. Jesus' bride. Think about these things. Think deeply about these things. Think carefully about these things. To the degree that we are in unity with one another, celebrating each other's value to the church, we are properly representing Jesus is. To the degree that we practice in our organizational structure, administration, uh, authority, the church, the same as the household in creation design, we are modeling to the world the wisdom of God in creation. To the degree that we fall prey, to the modern ideas that culture has to disestablish the family, we join in the disarray to the degree that we are willing and waiting for our bridegroom who has engaged us with the Holy Spirit, promising to come and wed us fully In the consummation and His return, to the degree that we are willing and waiting and loving the Lord and loving one another, we are representing Jesus Christ well. And that's the call of the church, to declare and express the greatness of Jesus who is King, Jesus who is Lord Father, thank you so much. We, we bless your name. You are an awesome, awesome God. We love the Lord who has died for us and saved us. And we are pleased to be able to publicly testify to the salvation that you have granted to us through Christ Jesus. And to live for you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.